Well, now, would you turn with me to your study outlines? And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. And also for those of us at Arco, Idaho, at Community Baptist Church, we are so glad that you are joining us for our study there in Idaho. And also at the Hangar in Montana, we are so glad that you are joining us in our satellite there. We're so glad that you're a part of this uh, study as well. We're continuing our series we've been doing this fall entitled Mythbusters, Debunking the Myths of Contemporary Culture. And this one we're doing today, I could barely put it into writing because it was so galling to write it down, okay? It just bugged me to to write it down. You know, some of the other ones like Christians are anti-science or this or that. For some reason, I didn't have trouble writing that down. But this one, you know, whenever somebody's insulted that is sacrificing a great deal, you know, whenever, like like people in the military or those that are teachers or those that are nurses or, um, you know, those in law enforcement or something like that, and you know them to doing a very sacrifice sacrificial, beneficial, helpful thing, and then they're disrespected in any way. You know how that, that like bugs you? And that's how it bugs me to put this one down. The myth that missionaries do more harm than good. The only appropriate word for that is it is, the technical term is stupid. That is a stupid statement. Now, hopefully no children heard that and were offended. Uh, You know, don't want to get in trouble with the parents. We were hiking, and and by the way, Kimberly sent word to me when I was in the green room. She's homesick today, but uh, she, uh, recovering today, and she sent me word. I happened to talk to Pete Wilson up in the media booth, and he says, Kimberly says to tell everybody we weren't at Mount Rushmore, we were at Mount Rainier. Okay, Mount Rainier, not Mount Rushmore. So, at any rate, by next service, it'll be Mount McKinley, you know, Mount Everest by tonight. So, at any rate, uh, it was Mount Rainier. So, uh, where was my point? Okay, I'm hiking Mount Rainier. And uh, did I do that this service or last service? Okay. Oh, this it was this one. Okay, okay. Makes sense. Uh, so, anyway, I'm, I'm hiking uh, with my granddaughter, Kylie, who's four years old, and my son, Andrew, and we're hiking up Mount Rainier. Okay, we're hiking up, and I had the improper footwear on, and I said, oh, man, for this hike, my, these shoes are stupid. And Kylie, my four-year-old granddaughter, says, pop up, don't use bad words. And I was clueless. What, what did I say? What did I say? And Andrew just keeps hiking ahead of me going, S-T-U-P-I-D. And so I apologized to Kylie, and I told her her grandpa would try to keep his foul mouth under control in the future. And, uh, but I tell you, it is the appropriate word for this one. Missionaries do more harm than good. Now, this is, this is the new atheists we've been talking about. That Really, this series is an answer to what we call the new atheist attack by people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and Bill Maher and, and people like that. And the attack, they'll say, is we're missionaries just culturally insensitive tools of colonialism. Now, what we mean by that fancy phrase is, did missionaries just the tools of European nations to um, take advantage of a- nations in like Asia, Africa, and South America? One stereotype about missions is that they were, a close, were closely connected to colonialism. But Protestant missionaries, not funded by the state, were regularly very critical of colonialism as you look through history. Remember I used the illustration a couple of weeks ago about Kobe Bryant? How if I only gave you the number 18, that's the number of games that Kobe fouled out since he's been a Laker. If I only gave you that number, you'd say, well, you know what? Maybe Kobe did the Lakers more harm than good. But then I start adding other numbers to it, like how many points he's scored, how many MVPs he's gotten, how many NBA championships he's led him to, how many rebounds, how many assists, how many steals, how many block shots. And after I put all those other numbers in, you're like, that's ridiculous that Kobe does the Lakers more harm than good. Uh, he does way more good, even though on rare occasion he may do harm. 
uh, sociologist Dr. Robert Woodbury uh, writes, we don't have to deny that there were and are racist missionaries on occasion. We don't have to deny that there were and are missionaries who do self-centered things. But if that were the average effect, we would expect the places where missionaries had influence to be worse than places where missionaries weren't allowed or were restricted in action. We find exactly the opposite on all kinds of outcomes. Even in places where few people converted, missionaries had a profound economic and political impact. And more to that in a couple of minutes, but I'm going to share with you a research study that is stunning the academic world. That is an earthquake in the intelligentsia of America's uh, places of higher learning. Uh, It's just rocking the boat in a big-time way. We'll get back to that in a couple of minutes. But how do we respond to this kind of slander that missionaries do more harm than good? Well, Peter told us how to do it in 1 Peter chapter 3. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who ask you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Would you please welcome the first hero of the morning, our hero missionary, Tim Long from Mexico. Would you let him know that you love him? Good, good, good. Well, Tim... It's a pleasure to have you here. And Tim and his wife, Patty, serves in Baja, California. Tim, share with us a little bit about the scope of what you do out there in Baja. My particular ministry, my calling, is to come alongside those whom God has raised up. Men and women um, throughout much of Mexico, especially the northwest part of Mexico, to train, equip, to encourage them as they seek to share the love of Christ in so many different ways in their communities. Um, Even today, we have with us Martin and Priscilla, who are beginning a new church plant in the city of Mexicali, and the church here, Pomona, is coming alongside them. Now, 18 years ago, we began ministry in Mexico, um, working with some new church starts in a small association of churches. And I would travel around and have classes in different, different places. And both Martin and Priscilla, I've known for 18 years. Now, they were a lot younger at that time. They were only eight or nine years old. But um, at this point, they're married. They have a little girl. Martin just finished four years of full-time study at our institute. Priscilla is starting some studies now. And um, we have at our, instit- our institute, seminary, 15 full-time students, another 60 part-time students. And Martín's going to bring greetings to your church. Eh, buenos días. Eh, Dios les bendiga. Es un gusto estar con ustedes. Eh, reciban un saludo del seminario y de Misión Bautista Roca Fuerte. Dios les bendiga. Thank you so much. It's, he says it's a great pleasure to be here with you. And please receive our greetings in the name of Christ from the seminary, from the Roca Fuerte New Church Start. 
And you'll be hearing a little bit more about that as we go along because we'll be uh, doing some mission teams down uh, right across the border in Mexicali. Tim, how does a, uh, a, an involvement like this with a church impact that community? Well, the small community there on the Mexican-U.S. border, La Ladriguera, where they are serving as a very poor community with many needs. Of course, there's a need to know Jesus Christ. And there's also um, low unemployment, youth that do not have um, places to be and to do during the day. That's all part of the outreach of Martin and Priscilla, as it is throughout much of Baja California with those whom we work. Those who are at the seminary during the week sometimes go for five um, hours in the bus to other communities where they work in the, um, in the churches, in the communities on the weekends. And they're really making a difference for Christ as they have been called, they're on fire, and they want to be as Christ in their communities and sacrificing as well to a great degree as they, as they come in, they learn, they're equipped, pray with each other, and then they go out. And we look forward to many, many years of transformation in so many communities in Baja, California. Amen. Now, Tim, you don't work alone. You have your, uh, your beautiful wife that works with you in ministry. Share a little bit about what uh, well, Patty does. Patty um, is now working in Tijuana in a very poor area, a barrio of Tijuana called El Florido. For the past 10 years, she's been working with a local church and reaching out to children with special needs. And so each year she has 30 to 35 new children that come in that um, would not have an education other than this work by the church school there. Just in August when school starts, the the people from the church went out into the community looking for new children with special needs that didn't go to school or didn't have a place in school. And seven new children between the ages of seven and 14 came to the school. None of them had ever been in school before. And this is a a wonderful, wonderful ministry that Patty um, is involved in there as she works with the parents of these other teachers at the school and the children themselves, giving them an opportunity that they did not have and showing the love of Christ in very tangible ways. And what a joy it is at every graduation to see a number of these kids, five or six every year, that otherwise would not even have had a first grade education. Wow, awesome. Tim and Martin and Priscilla, thank you guys so very much. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you guys. Wow, thank you so much. Oh my goodness, isn't this exciting? You know, Pastor Sean had told me what a good speaker Tim Long is, and you know, I should have been surprised because he's a graduate of Gordon-Conwell Seminary. On the West Coast, you guys don't know that, but we are graduates from the same seminary. Tim, I had a terrible thing happen to me. I mentor a group of pastors in this area, and every pastor in my mentor group, I said, what seminary did you guys go? But anyway, every one of them was Talbot except for me, okay? So you and I, Gordon-Conwell forever. We're probably the only two people in this room that lived in Ipswich, Mass. Massachusetts, you know, uh, lived in Ipswich. There, the other awesome tonight. You'll hear a little bit more from Tim, along with Martin and Priscilla. They'll share a little bit more extensively tonight as well. One more time, let them know how much we love and appreciate them. Now, here comes the study that is rocking the academic world. 
It's by Dr. Robert Woodbury. I read about it in an article in Christianity Today entitled The Surprising Discovery About Those Colonistic, Colonialistic Proselytizing Missionaries. He writes about his research. I was shocked. It was like an atomic bomb. The impact of missions on global democracy was huge. Uh, I kept adding variables to the model, facts that people had been studying and writing about for the past 40 years, and they all got wiped out. It was amazing. I knew then that I was on to something really important. Areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past are on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher educational attainment, especially for women. In short, do you want a blossoming democracy today? The solution is simple. If you have a time machine, send a 19th century missionary back to that country. Is that awesome or what? It's hard. The whole time machine thing is difficult to achieve. But at any rate, he would say the difference between whether a country today is democratic or not, today is whether they had missionaries yesterday. And so you could extrapolate from that, do you want a thriving democracy tomorrow? Then send a 21st missionary today in order to get that same effect. Now this is what Jesus said would happen. He said in Matthew 5, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Okay, this is interesting. Jesus said not all Christ followers are salty. Now, the main application he's using here is our moral standards, that when we compromise morally, we lose our saltiness and thus our effect on society. But he's talking about some additional things that I'm going to point out in just a moment. So what he's saying is not all missionaries will have this preservation effect. Not all missionaries will have this salty effect. Not all Christ followers will have that if they've lost their saltiness. Now, what does it mean to lose your saltiness? Hang with me for just a minute. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Next page of your study outline. Here it comes. Here, here's what we mean by a salty missionary compared to a non-salty missionary. Now, this is from Dr. Daniel Philpot. Now, notice this. It's from the University of Notre Dame. That's going to keep me from offending people. This is what somebody from the University of Notre Dame says. Why did some countries become democratic while others went the route of theocracy or dictatorship? For Woodbury to show through devastatingly thorough analysis that conversionary Protestants, underline those two words, conversionary Protestants are crucial to what makes the country democratic today is remarkable in many ways. Not only is it another factor, it turns out to be the most important factor. It cannot be anything but startling for scholars of democracy. Now notice this Professor from Notre Dame says it was not any missionaries, it was Protestant missionaries. But it wasn't just any Protestant missionaries. What's the first word right before, the word right before it? Conversionary. That is, those missionaries, Protestant missionaries that went out and said, we're just going to build hospitals, build orphanages, and build schools, but we're going to leave this whole 
converting to Jesus thing out of it. We're just going to do good, but not try to convert people to Jesus. They did not have the effect on society that those that went out built hospitals, built schools, built orphanages, but said, as we do that, we will use that as a tool to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're the ones that ended up also having the positive effect here and now on society. They led people to heaven and at the same time built a better place here on earth. Dr. Robin Greer from the University of Oklahoma writes, I'm not religious. I never felt really comfortable with the idea of mission work. It seemed cringeworthy to me. Then I read this research and I thought, wow, that's amazing. They left a long legacy. It changed my views and caused me to rethink. Would you welcome some more heroes, Matt and Lori Mann from Laos and Thailand. Well, guys, it's great to have you here. And uh, Matt and Lori serve in the countries of Laos and and Thailand. Uh, Tell us a little bit about what you guys do in kind of these two countries. We've been living in Thailand where we moved so uh, our kids could, would have a good high school to go to and, and God has been opening doors for us there. Uh, Matt has been doing community development and we've been continue, continuing our work with street kids, slum kids and victims of human exploitation and trafficking in Laos and we've had to think creatively to do that. Um, we work with a, a group of Lao Christians, 12 Lao Christians and um, while we're in Thailand, they're carrying on the day-to-day activities. We travel back into Laos about 10 times a year, and, um, and we get to, to uh, train and do a lot of things with them. We have a, um, a daytime drop-in center, a home for boys, and a home for girls. And when the kids come to the drop-in center, they might just come for that one day. They might come every day. But whatever, whenever they come, we want them to be able to hear the name of Jesus and we want them to know that God loves them. And we're sharing the love of Christ there at, at the drop-in center as well as in the homes. Well, we know that Laos is a communist country. How hard is it to work in that part of the world? That's a good question. Because actually in Laos, we're not missionaries. We're development workers. We cannot, they do not allow missionaries. Proselytizing is illegal. And actually when I was in seminary, I uh, did a, my thesis on... Um, Christian mission was focusing so much on countries that readily accepted missionaries um, and to try to get the church more innovative and finding ways to reach countries that were closed to missionaries. So Laos was my case study. Hmm. And uh, it's very interesting. We got there, and the first year we were there, we were kind of gripped by fear because we're as missionaries. Uh, we do good event, um, development work or whatever, but the evangelism part, you know, it's kind of scary because we don't want to get kicked out. Well, after the first year, we decided, well, this isn't a missionary. We can't be there and just do social work, but no evangelism, not sharing our faith. And so we, we stepped out in faith and decided to work out of love and, and not fear. And, and we, act, we started a home for boys, street boys, to come and live off the street with a Christian lady, which was uh, missionaries there before said, we, you can never do that. And so just because of the fear factor, uh, we've known friends who personally have been uh, uh, disappeared, abducted, eventually killed, um, a family that's been ex- expelled from the, the, uh, their village, um, we know uh, one of our own staff has been in jail for four nights, and um, one of our staff's 
father was a pastor who was shot and killed uh, way back in when we first arrived in Laos. So it's very, to, to be a Christian in that country, your faith, it's very, it refines your faith very much. And so one of the things that happened was we started this boy's home, and the first thing that happened after we, a few weeks after this home, there was a French man with another organization who very, he didn't like Christians. And so he spread, spread a rumor, told the authorities that we had taken children, we're holding them in this house, and we're forcing them to go to church, forcing them to be Christians. And so he actually alerted the police. They came over. We, we got a call from our uh, house mother that uh, 10 of them were coming over to interrogate the house mother to check everything out. So we were praying fervently on the side. And uh, after three hours, she said, of intense interrogation, looking at the children's school records, trying to figure out why they were helping these kids, uh, uh, an 11th man came in the room, and he, and he listened for about 10 minutes. And then he said, you know what? This is a good thing that's happening. The kids are off the street. They're in school. They're getting good grades. And uh, nobody's saying that they're forced to go to church. They go to church because the, the house mothers are Christian. So he said, but you, you can do it, but you've got to find the right way to do it. You have to get permission from the Department of Education. And we thought, wow, that's going to be tough because, you know, a Christian lady trying to take care of kids in this country. So we prayed and prayed again. And the next day she went to the Department of Education they said, well, you need to go talk to this guy above me. So she went, every person she went to, they kept saying, I, no, I don't know what to do. You talk to the next guy. She had to go to the, the top guy in charge of the Department of Education. And uh, as soon as she walked in the door, she said this man recognized her. Uh, this man was her father's best friend. And he said, I remember you. I'll sign any documents you want. And so we, we now have the legal permission to have this. And so it's a paradox. It's a communist country, but God works in mysterious ways. We're finding out we can do a lot. Uh, as long as we're there together with God. Amen. Well, we've got about just right over a minute. And uh, Thank you. Amen. tell us a little bit about your human trafficking work that you do. Well, by moving to Thailand, we started to network with other organizations that, that are already doing work in Thailand. And sometimes they come across Lao girls. And some, some of them are rescue organizations. Uh, some of them are, are doing similar work to what we do. And um, when I want to share a story about uh, 11 Lao girls. There were, they they um, were being held in a brothel. And at that time, we didn't know that there were 11. We thought there were two. We got a call from the parents, frantic, saying that our daughters were going, they were going to, to work in a beauty salon. And, and now our daughters are in this situation, and, and we need some help. And so we, we connected with, um, with other organizations, a rescue organization. And within uh, seven days, they rescued not just those two girls, but, the, but all 11 Lao wow. girls. Wow. And we've been following up on them. Um, since then, one of our staff, she came to, she's uh, one of the newer staff. She came to work with us, and she, we began training her and teaching her. And she came to me in tears one afternoon and said, I realize that my, this has happened to my niece. Can you please help me? And so we were able to help her as well get out, get out of um, uh, illegal prostitution in, in Thailand working in a brothel. Wow, awesome. And she's now living in the home. Awesome. Hey, guys, thank you so much. I really appreciate you guys coming out to share oh with us. Oh, my goodness. Uh, that's awesome. Matt, Matt and Lori met in the gym, right? playing volleyball. They were on the church volleyball team here. 
So anybody want to change your life, sign up for volleyball. I don't know where Pastor Greg is, but they were playing a church league volleyball on the volleyball team here at our church in the gym, got married. Did you guys get married here at all or in the old, old sanctuary? Got married in the old sanctuary. And here's what's cool. Let's put their family picture back up. Now Leanne, their daughter, is going to be married right here in June. How cool is that for the, the full circle on that? And... And you know, it just, it just triggered, Matt, what you said, that we also need to be praying, and, I, and I'll keep this vague because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but I know that the parents are right here in front of me of one of our people from missionaries from our church that's serving right in the shadow of ISIS. And just as I was walking in today, I overheard this young man from our church and his wife and family, and I overheard them asking for prayer for their son because just right in the backyard of ISIS, and we, don't want, we can't talk about this very much, but let's be in prayer for that unspoken request. Uh, uh, very di- you know, different but the same as you all ministering in Laos, uh, which is a communist country. Well, How did this all start? Here's the last words that Jesus gave to us. Matthew 28. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then his last, some of his last words were in Acts 1 verse 8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now here's the exciting thing. This is not just in the past. These are the good old days. Uh, We are growing, the church of Jesus Christ around the world is growing faster today than at any other time in its history. It's the biggest movement in the world. It's the fastest growing in in the world. Uh, And this is the fastest it's ever grown. The good old days were not during the times of Paul, John, and, and uh, Peter. The, 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 the good old days are right now. We get to be alive during the time of the biggest growth in the history of Christianity. It is just amazing uh, what God is doing. How many of you wake up in the morning, read the newspaper, go online, listen to the news reports, and feel like the world is going to hell in a handbasket? Anybody? Okay, I mean, between ISIS, between Ebola, between Ukraine. Uh, tonight we're going to hear about you know in, in our work in Latvia, which is right in the shadow of the conflict with Russia. We're going to be talking, hearing more about that, as well as more from uh, with regard to uh, Priscilla and Martin tonight as well. And and it's just going to be very 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 exciting time tonight. Just, it's going to be a thrill, just like this morning has been. But you know what? Remember how in the story, for 31 weeks in our series, we talked about God has an upper story and a lower story. And we live in the lower story with Ebola and the Ukraine and with ISIS. But God has given us a glimpse this morning of the, the upper story, where he is still at work regardless of what's going on in the world. Does anybody want to say amen to that? Okay. Now, Denise D'Souza writes, we often read that Islam is the fastest growing religion. Not true. Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world today. Islam is second. While Islam grows mainly through reproduction, which is to say by Muslims having large families, Christianity grows through rapid conversion as well as natural increase. I mean, you guys are doing your part. The nursery is packed right now. 
I mean, every time I turn around, you know, oh, Glenn, you can't meet there. Why not? Why can't we have a group there? The nursery just took it over. I mean, pretty soon the nursery's going to be in here, and we're all going to be in there. Okay, so you guys are doing your part on the uh, natural increase thing. But the main way it grows is through rapid conversion. For the first time in history, Christianity has become a universal religion. It is, in fact, the only religion with a global reach. Buddhism is centered regionally in places uh, like Japan. Uh, Hinduism is, is focused regionally in places like India. Islam is mainly regional in places like Indonesia and, and the Middle East. Uh, this is the, because of these missionaries, it is now in every nook and cranny of the world. Philip Jenkins writes, if we want to visualize a typical contemporary Christian, we should think of a woman living in a village in Nigeria or a Brazilian favela. Um, the old centers of Christ followers used to be in places like Geneva, Switzerland, Rome, Paris, and London. The New Test centers are in places like Buenos Aires, Manila, Kinshasa, in the Congo, and Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. Uh, I remember a, I read a writer this past week, and, and he was saying, you know, it doesn't seem like Christianity is growing, because, man, in my neighborhood, I go to the local church, and it's just a sprinkling of people, and they're all over the age of 90. Well, the problem was his neighborhood is in New York City. He just lives in the wrong neighborhood is his problem. Uh, and, and, and sometimes we do get discouraged in North America or in, in, in Europe, because, and, 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 but, but we're in the wrong neighborhood. The neighborhood where it's exploding is in places like I just mentioned. In 1900, more than 80% of Christians lived in Europe and the United States. Today, more than 60% live in the developing world. More than two out of three evangelical Christians now live in Asia, Africa, and South America. And there's some additional good news. Remember the old children's song, deep and wide, deep and wide? There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. Well, we're growing wider. That is, Christianity is bigger than it's ever been. Higher percentage of the world's population than it's ever been. Also deeper. Because what's happening is we're replacing a nominal Christians in places like Europe um, now, you know, they're on-fire Christians in Europe and the United States and North America. I'm looking at a group of them right now. But there are many nominal ones. But it's replacing them with a higher percentage of on-fire committed Christians in places like South America, Africa, or Asia. Now, there are certainly nominal Christians in those places as well. But I'm talking about it's, it's replacing Christians with a higher percentage of those that are on-fire, evangelical, Bible-believing, committed to the cause of world evangelism. And so today, there's 560 million Christians in Europe. 260 million Christians, and forgive me, I'm not sure if this is United States or all of North America, but we know that many of them, particularly in Europe, there's a nominal Christianity. But they're being replaced by Christians like in South America, where there are now 480 million Christians, and many of them are moving from more kind of a dead orthodoxy of religion into on-fire evangelical or charismatic churches. Uh, Asia, 313 million Christians. Africa, 360 million Christians. Do you know that in 1900, just a little over 100 years ago, less than 10% of Africa was Christian. Today, it's almost 50%. Africa, Christians have grown from 10 million to 360 million during that time. Do you see why I say that these are the good old days? David Aikman, in his book, Jesus in Beijing, wrote, China will in a few decades become the largest Christian country in the world. And you guys have had a part in that through China and Pomona. You guys have had a part in that uh, through, uh, you know, our, our ministries here in that particular area. Well, now, um, I want to just close, and, and Roberta, 
I am so in trouble with God right now. Okay, we're, we're going to hear more from Roberta at 11.11. We'll have a little bit more time because we don't have another service to follow. More tonight. Tonight, we're going to hear more. We're going to see the video on her. We're going to have a dinner in her honor. But I have taken the time of a missionary, and I'm like, God is like so ticked with me right now. But what we're going to do is what we did at the 8.30 service. This is what we did at the 8.30 service, Okay. She is retiring after 38 years as a missionary in Japan. And I tell you what, let's give a standing ovation. Let's stand up. And here is a hero returned home after four decades in Japan. Could you just say one quick word? Go for it. Sorry. (laughs) If it if it wasn't for Pomona First Baptist, I would have probably been back here about 10 or 15 years before. Wow. wow. And so just thank you all. And there are many people in Japan right now who are carrying on the good news that I spread. Uh-huh. And we just really need to pray for them. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely great. Well, we will. And, and listen, you know, tonight we're going to reenact the church at Antioch, which sent you out. We were one of your sending churches, I think, 38 years ago. And now it talks about the next chapter. They receive them back and they report. And so tonight we are going to relive the church at Antioch with our other missionaries that we've heard from, but also from Roberta's one. One more time, let her know how much. Oh, and uh, now... This is, again, how I'm going to get in so much trouble with God. Here's a gift from our church, a financial gift from our church on your retirement. But I'm taking it back so I can give it back to you again later on. Okay, so here. Wait, now I'm taking it back. Okay, there you go. All right. (laughs) Now, this is so awesome because we get to share what's called World Communion Sunday. All around the globe, all two to three billion of us in every nook and cranny around the world, are all making it a point to share the Lord's Supper on this particular day as a show of unity and solidarity with brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. And we're all together remembering the one that made it possible, the original missionary, Jesus Christ, who left his father's throne and came on the first missionary journey to planet Earth to save you and to save me. Everybody's welcome to share the Lord's Supper. You just need to know that you're a follower of Jesus. You say, Glenn, I'm not sure if I've taken that step or if I'd like to take that step, how would I do it? Well, right on the other page of your study outline, you've been going down along that second page. Well, right up here, if you look right over there, there's three steps to being a follower of Jesus. And there's a little suggested prayer there. And if you've ever prayed that prayer or something like it in the past, or you'd like to pray it today to become a part of the greatest movement in world history, We invite you to become a follower of Jesus and then to show that outwardly by sharing the cup and the bread which represent his body and his blood shed for us on the cross. So let's take a moment now and just prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper.